Good morning. I'll be reading this morning from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, beginning in the 10th verse. So now, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, appeared to me and said, I have walked with you, I have seen what has been done to you in Egypt, and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I'll make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards the people. So when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is asking her neighbor, and, and any woman living in the house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. And the Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground. It became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. 
So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first signs, they may believe the second. But they do not believe these two signs or listen to you. Take some water from the Nile, pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He is already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words into his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth, as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand, and so you can perform the signs with it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Dennis. Let's pray again. Thank you, Father, for this part of your word, and we ask you now for your help. We need your help to understand and to enter into it. And I ask for help preaching, that I'd be clear and what I say would be true. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Please open your Bibles, if you haven't already, to Exodus chapter 3, where we will start today. I want to tell you about my friend, Beverly. Beverly lives in Potsdam, New York, She has two grown children. She is a librarian. She loves to read. She's an active uh, member of her church in Potsdam. And Beverly deals with chronic anxiety. Like sometimes she can't leave the house, chronic anxiety. In 2002, um, an organization that works on college campuses called InterVarsity Christian Fellowship Um, asked Beverly if she would consider coming on staff to help revive the campus ministry at St. Lawrence University, which is the next town over from where she lives. Um, And so she would be involved in in raising up student leaders, in discipling students, uh, being on campus several days a week, doing some um, Bible study and like presentation type stuff. And as you can imagine, the idea of all that terrified her because she has anxiety. Um, She knew how hard that would be, and she felt totally, totally inadequate for that task. What would you have done if you were her? Have you ever been in a situation where someone asked you to do something that, that touched on a deep insecurity or a disability or a 
a sense of inadequacy that you had. If you know that feeling, then you know exactly how Moses was feeling when God asked him to go to Egypt and set the Israelites free. And we'll come back to Beverly's story later. Um, you just heard this, this passage read where Moses gives all of these objections to God's call. And lest we be too critical of him, think about what God was asking him to do. Go and confront the most powerful man in the world at the time and tell him to release his entire slave labor force. Yeah, right. It's an impossible task, a humanly impossible task. No wonder Moses feels inadequate. But this morning, this story can help us. Um, All of us have places where we feel inadequate, insecure, deficient, weak, whatever. Some of you limped through the doors this morning, some literally. Some of you limped through just carrying the burden of some uh, uh, awareness of some disability or weakness or insecurity you have. I would dare say all of us have those things, And I have good news for you today. In the kingdom of God, your deficiency, your disability, your inadequacy can become an asset. That's the way God works. Um, God does his best work through people who know their inadequacy. That's what I want to tell you this morning. And so often we believe the opposite. In practice, we believe that the stronger you are, the more, the, the more successful you are, the more able you are, the more gifted you are, that those are the people God really, really works through. And that's just, just simply not the case. Just, it's not true. God chooses inadequate people to, through whom to do his best work. So let's turn again to Exodus 3 and 4, and we'll see... Um, We can't look at everything in this passage. It's a long section, but I want to show you the five objections that Moses raises to his call and the ways that God answers those objections. So first, Moses says, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Verses 10 through 12. I mentioned last week this would be like, you know, God had said to Moses, I've heard the cries of the Israelites, therefore I'm sending you to Pharaoh. That would be like God saying, Phyllis, I've heard the prayers of the Ukrainian people, therefore I'm sending you to Putin to end the war. It doesn't necessarily make logical sense. And Moses says, who am I? Who am I to do that? Um, And I'd say that's probably a good sign that Moses had that reaction rather than like, okay, God, you can count on me. What kind of a naive, you know, self-confident, foolish person would he have been to say that? Well, look at God's answer to Moses. He doesn't um, give a pep talk like, don't worry, you got this. He doesn't deny that Moses is inadequate. He simply says, what? I will be with you. I will be with you. 
I know this task is impossible for you, but it won't be just you. I will be with you, and I am God, remember? While Moses isn't convinced, he brings up a second concern, verse 13. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Moses fears that he doesn't know enough. Um, he, he doesn't know God well enough to tell uh, the Israelites who he is. Or maybe he's afraid that they won't believe him unless he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. Do you ever feel that way? Like, I want to share my faith with this person, but I'm afraid they'll ask a question I don't know the answer to. Or I'm afraid I won't know that I, I, won't, I won't sound like I know what I'm talking about. Well, Moses felt that way. And listen to the answer God gives. God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. We would be missing out if we didn't peel back the layers on this a little bit. So what, what is in that name? Uh, first, the phrase I am, uh, the word in Hebrew that means I am is closely related to the, the word, uh, to God's name, Yahweh. Um, uh, the word to be or I am is essentially the same as God's name, Yahweh. Um, so the phrase is actually close to God's name. Second, uh, this name is a word of comfort to Moses. Think about it. it. In saying, I am what I am, he is revealing that he is more present to Moses than Moses can possibly understand. The truest thing about God is that he simply is. Always and everywhere, he is. He is ever-living, ever-present, uh, he is self-sufficient. He is limitless. He just is. And so it's as if he's telling Moses, listen, I am closer than your breath. I am. I am what I am. But also, we shouldn't miss that there, there's some mystery in this name. And there's an invitation for Moses to trust God beyond what he understands. Right? This can also be translated, I will be who I will be, which is to say, God is true to himself, but he is not beholden to human expectations. He's not boxable. He is not fully understandable. And Moses will be invited and asked to trust God in some pretty um, crazy situations where it doesn't seem like God is making much sense, right? And Moses must learn to trust him anyway, because God will be who God will be. That's a, there's actually freedom for Moses and for us in that, because it's not our job to answer everyone's questions about God. It's not our job to always know like we, sound like we know what we're talking about. God can take care of himself. God can uh, be his own advocate sometimes, and we simply must 
be faithful to share what we do know, what God has revealed to us. Well, the Lord goes on to give further assurance to Moses in verses 16 through 22. If you'd glance at that section, he says, he says, go to the, the elders of Israel and tell them I've appeared to you. I've, I've promised to rescue them. And he says, look, he says, they will listen to you. They will listen to you. And we'll see in a few chapters that actually is true. Uh, then God tells him, go with them and confront Pharaoh and ask him to let you take a three-day journey into the wilderness to worship me. But God says, I know Pharaoh will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. So God gives Moses this play-by-play of everything that's going to happen, everything that God will do. Um, He even tells Moses that the, the Israelites will leave Egypt rich with plunder from the Egyptians, like Maybe it's a few hundred years of back pay for their slavery. So even after all of this um, uh, play-by-play account of what will happen, Moses isn't buying it, is he? He's still stuck. He does not want to do this. And so his third objection, chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me? Or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you. Moses is afraid that people will not accept his leadership. And this is not an ungrounded, unfounded fear. Picture Moses showing up in Egypt after 40 years of being away. And he says, hey, the Lord appeared to me and told me to tell you that he's going to save you. And they're like, who? The Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we haven't heard from him in 400 years. And who are you? Like, why should they listen to Moses? Well, again, God God graciously accommodates these fears, and he gives him these three signs. His staff that will turn into a snake, and then turn back into a staff, and then his hand becoming leprous and then being healed and then water being poured out and turned to blood. And we think these are bizarre uh, images. These are bizarre things. And yet, in the the cultural setting that Moses was in, these would have had um, power and impact. And they all communicated the fact that God has power over life and death, over creation and destruction. And so God is sending Moses with signs of his power that will get people's attention. And all three of these signs will show up in some form or another in the coming chapters. So by now we're thinking, okay, Moses, hasn't God shown you enough? Are you ready to say yes? But he's not ready. He still has another objection. And this one, I think gets to the heart of why he really, really, really does not want to do this. Chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. Do you see what he's saying here? 
he has a disability. Uh, many scholars, most scholars believe it was probably a speech impediment, like a stutter or a lisp or something that was very embarrassing to him. Or it could have been that he just simply was slow at forming his thoughts and felt really insecure about that. Uh, Bible scholar Christopher Wright translated this verse as literally as possible, and it's funny to hear what he came up with. Moses says, Pardon me, my Lord, not a man of words am I, even since yesterday, even since the day before yesterday, meaning the whole of the past. In fact, even since you've been speaking to me, your servant, sorry, but heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue, that's me. (laughs) You can even hear him stuttering his way through this response to God. And can you imagine if, if you had a speech impediment and someone told you to go, like, address Congress and be on national television and give interviews? And I think Moses would, Moses would rather stick to being a shepherd out in the wilderness. Nothing that would, would, would press upon that, that insecurity he has, that, that disability he has. But look at how God answers him. The Lord said to him, verse 11, The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes, the deaf, who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Which literally is, I will be with your mouth, God says. I mean, God makes a good point, doesn't he? (laughs) Who made the mouth? Who constructed the lips and the tongue and the vocal cords and the diaphragm and, and made language itself a thing? Could not the God who does that help a man with a stutter to say the right words or to get his point across? When you think about it, each of the objections Moses has God's answer is a form of saying, trust me. Yes, I know, but trust me. Yes, I know you're worried they won't listen to you, but trust me. Yes, I know you don't have power, but here's some, some, a sign, now trust me. Yes, I know you have a speech impediment, but I made your mouth, now trust me. Trust me. Many of us have disabilities, hearing loss, a vision loss, limited mobility, dyslexia, anxiety, depression, uh, ADHD, social anxiety. Imagine how it would feel if God called you to do something that, that exploited or, or, or uh, drew attention to that disability. Um, you know, some of you have actually have actually walked through these things and responded to God's call despite your disabilities. I know that Roy Rabadou answered God's call to teach Sunday school even though he has profound hearing loss. And he was nervous that that would really be an obstacle to connecting with the kids. A couple of years ago, um, Karen Conger, um, she led the deacons through the first two years of the pandemic, even though she felt incredibly insecure about, about memory issues and just um, 
several things going on in her life. God is not put off by your disability. He knows about it, and he can help you in your weakness. In fact, I would go so far as to say, and this is really what the sermon is about, your inadequacy um, becomes an asset in the Lord's hand. Why is that? Because God wants people who will trust him and not themselves. He wants people who understand that they are inadequate, because we all are, and receives God's help and says, I trust you. Well, Moses uh, by now knows this is a losing argument, but he still makes one last-ditch effort to get out of this. In verse 13, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Anyone but me. Please know, right? Now, you you have to have sympathy for Moses, but you also have to have sympathy for God here because God has, it's like, what is it going to take, Moses, for God to convince you, for God to reassure you? And so it says God gets angry. God's anger burns against him. Does that mean he um, wanted to destroy Moses? No, it means he was angry, and even in his anger, he showed grace and provision, right? He says, okay. You can have someone help you. I will send your brother Aaron. And in fact, so interesting, Moses' resistance and reluctance was not a surprise to God because, look, he says, your brother is already on his way to meet you. God knew this was going to play out the way it did. He had already provided Aaron as a helper for Moses. Right? He'd already provided. Now, I want to draw this together and simply ask, wasn't it amazing that God chose Moses at all? Does it strike you as significant that God didn't choose someone who was young and in the prime of life, remember he's 80 at this point, and eloquent and um, all of the things that Moses wasn't, you know, self-assured, confident, and God didn't do that. He picked this old, insecure shepherd to do one of the most significant things um, in biblical history. And I think there's a reason for that. God chose Moses because Moses knew his inadequacy, and Moses was willing to trust God. I mean, even, despite his resistance, he does what God says, and he walks a life of, um, of incredible faith with God. Listen, God, God set it up so that human weakness becomes a magnifying glass for God's power. That's just the way God has set it up. God chooses unimpressive people to do impressive things. He chose scrawny little David over tall, strong King Saul. He chose fishermen over Pharisees, right? He chooses people who are too old or too young or people who are doubters 
or fearful or, or people who are failures because in our weakness, he is strong. Back to Beverly's story. So, what do you think she did? Despite her anxiety, she said yes, because she, she discerned, she prayed, she talked to friends. Listen, just because you're scared to do something doesn't mean God wants you to do it. Just because you don't feel equipped to do something doesn't mean you should. But sometimes God calls you despite feeling that way. And that's what happened with Beverly. Um, and behold, her anxiety evaporated. No, it didn't. No, it was a battle. It was a struggle for her. Every day she would drive to campus, she would just beg God for help. God, please calm my fears. Every time she stood up to teach a Bible study, she had to grip the podium and hyper-focus on her notes so she wouldn't have a panic attack, right? But in her, in her anxiety, God met her powerfully and worked through her powerfully. Uh, she, she told me this morning when I was asking, I mean, I'd asked her to, if I could share this, and she, told, she wrote to me and said, the anxiety was horrible, but definitely not a deterrent to God. One day, driving to campus, she was feeling particularly beset with worry, and she said, Jesus, just please go before me as I go to the campus today. And then, I kid you not, a car pulls out in front of her, and the license plate was a vanity plate, and it said J-E-S-U-S. What a, a sign of reassurance from God. And I know for a fact that she touched the lives of many students because when I showed up as a, as a spiritually immature 18-year-old in 2002 to St. Lawrence University, Beverly became a mentor and a discipler, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now without her influence and her help. What would it look like for you to trust God in your inadequacy, in your disability, in your insecurity? Maybe you feel totally inadequate as a parent. You know, that can be an opportunity to trust God and um, get on your knees in prayer and draw close to Him. Maybe you feel inadequate in your job or as a student. That can be a chance to, um, to trust God in, in a way that using your competence and your gifts would not be a way to trust God. Let me ask, you th- ask it this way. What would you say yes to if you believe that God was enough in your inadequacy? God told Moses, I will be with your mouth, helping you know what to say. What part of yourself would God say, I will be with you? I will be with your mind. I will be with your vision. I will be with your anxiety. I'll be with your legs. That inadequacy, that disability can become a place where God shows up. 
And all of this, listen, all of this is not some side part of the Christian life. This is not Christianity plus. This is so central because even Jesus models this for us. Not that he was inadequate, but of all people, he could have been, he could have walked with a swagger. He could have been self-confident. He could have relied on his vast power to just to just like obliterate opposition and do what needed to be done, and he didn't. Even though he was the great I am, the self-sufficient, fully um, uh, uh, powerful God, how did he live? He lived a life of weakness in total dependence on his Father. Total dependence. And like Moses, he even struggled to say yes to his call. Remember in the, the olive grove in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's there praying hours before his arrest, and he's saying, Father, if it's possible, please let this cup pass from me. I don't want to do this. If there's any other way for this salvation project to be done, please let it happen any other way. But he got to the end of the prayer. He didn't say, please send, send someone else. He said, not my will, but yours be done. And in the weakness and apparent failure of the cross, God's, the full, uh, the full force of God's saving power was displayed. And that's why we have hope today. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2 to a group of Christians who are feeling self-confident. He says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on God's power. This is why God chooses the inadequate, because His work in the world cannot advance through human skill or power or cleverness or wisdom, but only through His Spirit. And so would you allow yourself to be a conduit for that and to, be, um, to let God's power work in your weakness? in your disability, in your insecurity. Let's pray. Lord, we know your word says when we are weak, then we are strong because you are strong in us. Uh, and yet that is so often uncomfortable. We, we don't like uh, working, uh, operating within our weakness, within a sense of inadequacy. But Lord, if it helps us to depend on you, we want to embrace it. So, so show us now, Holy Spirit, the particular weakness or disability um, that you want to move through in each of our lives. Give us courage to say yes to you. Provide what we need as we follow you. We know you will. And thank you for Jesus who saved us through saying yes to weakness and pain and death. 
So as we prepare to remember Him at the communion table, encourage our hearts. Amen. We do um, get to remember